You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today I am flying solo to talk Pacers, Bucks, all the action from last night. Pacers made the defending champs sweat, but could not quite pull it off in a home game. It was a close one. It was one of their actually better performances of the season despite the loss. So lots to get to from that game. Again, I want to talk about how the Pacers defended uh, the former finals MVP, two-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo, and some minutes stuff going on with the centers on this Pacers team. And then Goga Batadze, season debut against the Bucks. I want to talk about an upcoming uh, big date for him and the Pacers as they make their kind of final move of this offseason as they go into the season and they can really settle their roster for this season. And next, let's start with the game. No, the, big, the game, though, the big thing, playing against the defending champs at home, big opportunity for the Pacers to gauge where they're at. And it was an interesting game. You know, the final score says the Pacers lost by 10, and most of the game I would say they were hovering around that 7-12 to 12 point deficit. There were moments in the third quarter where the Bucks got up by as much as 18, but I would say the final score is pretty reflective of of how the game went, where the Pacers, you know, were fighting and they were in it and they were making it very interesting, but but couldn't quite pull it off. But you know, it got really close at one point in the fourth quarter. The Pacers got it down to, I believe, five uh, with about five minutes to go in this game. It was looking like they had a shot to come all the way back and, and make it a game. Uh, it was it was um, 116. I, I can't remember exactly. It was 102. 109 uh, with 5:31 to go. It was 102-107 just before that, so it was down to five. And then there was this really long shuffle on the floor, and there was a double tech between Gogo Batadze and George Hill from the Bucks. And it took so long to sort it out that you know the Pacers. I was there at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. There was all this energy in the building, and people were psyched about the upcoming and currently ongoing comeback. And then all that energy got sucked out, including from the game. It really slowed the Pacers, and they were not able to to quite get the energy back that they had that got them, you know, to cut it to that five-point game after a Justin Holiday three, and so they they stumbled the rest of the way. They end up losing by ten, and and I think that's a fine result, uh, losing by ten to the defending champs when when Giannis is playing the way he was. He finished with thirty points, ten rebounds, nine assists, one assist away from a triple double. Chris Middleton was hitting shots from all over the court, including a masterful buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter. He finished with twenty-five points. Five rebounds and seven assists. When those two guys are that good, it's hard to beat the Bucks. And then Grayson Allen hitting four threes, Pat Connaughton hitting three threes. You know, they got what they needed. They got their stars to play awesome, and they got their shooters to shoot. And so that's the recipe for the Bucks to be awesome, and the Pacers couldn't defeat that recipe, right? And and that's what you got to do. If you can't stop Giannis, and they tried, right? The, the plan was, and I'll talk more about this in the next segment, Load up on him, you know, have backside help ready to go. They got better at this in the fourth quarter, but they couldn't do it the whole game. And so if you can't stop him, you have to stop the shooters. They didn't either. So the Pacers deserve to lose, uh, assuredly, and I think the score reflected that. But something else they can hang their hats on despite playing pretty well, uh, I think, for a lot of the game. You know, the things I just said made it sound like they played bad, but they shut down a lot of other guys and had some nice defensive moments. You know, at least they made... They held Giannis to 55% shooting, which is a success against him. Middleton just above 50. Everybody else on the Bucks outside of Thanasis on Tenacupo below 50. And the Pacers had a good third quarter for the first time all season. Uh, they're their second best scoring output of the game in the third quarter with 29 points. So they still lost the frame, but 
much better than than third quarters they've been having all season. Nice to see them at least put up a fight in that frame. You know, if they if they had that third quarter that they had against the Bucks today against either Washington or Charlotte, they would have won either of those games with this third quarter. They at least were putting the ball in the basket for a little bit. So on the Pacers side, statistically, um, Brogdon and Sabonis were both were both great on offense. Sabonis shot uh, eight of 13, 21 points, 13 rebounds, and five assists was really controlling the game. And you could tell the Bucks' length gave the Pacers some troubles. Sabonis had three turnovers uh, he's been a little turnover prone this season uh but but he mostly kept it in check and was doing they did a good job of even the whole game including the third quarter continuing to get him some touches within 10 feet where he can you know at least read and react and still be the Domas Sabonis that can score and finish and, and be effective and then Brogdon was really turnover guilty in this game he had seven uh it was weird he he's normally very patient and today he was still patient at times he had a nice game still 25 points four rebounds seven assists but there were random moments where he would try to be really assertive, and the Bucks' length really makes that hard for him. And he had some errant passes that went awry. Outside of those two guys, no one was super supremely awesome on offense. The Bucks, again, a very, very good defensive team. It's not like the Pacers were bad on offense. In fact, against the Bucks, you could argue they played a decent offensive game. You know, Duarte finished with 18. It took him 16 shots to do it. Uh, but he was mostly effective. Uh, they were minus only minus one in his minutes, and and he played pretty well. 44% shooting, hit two threes, was pretty good. Justin Holiday took all of his shots from deep. By the way, I like his shot profile quite a bit in the Rick Carlisle system. His diet of offense has been fascinating. He only took threes in this game. He took nine of them. The Pacers took 36. He made four, so he finished with 12 points, some big threes in the fourth quarter of this game. But he, you know, for the, the offense he can provide and help the Pacers and deservedly getting minutes his skinny frame holds him back in some matchups and a lot of those matchups are present against the bucks it's really hard to give to give him the minutes that he should get most games against the bucks he ended up playing 38 minutes in this game the pacers lost those minutes by 11 right so that means the 10 minutes and eight seconds justin holiday did not play the pacers won those minutes so i don't think he played necessarily poorly it's just sort of an awkward matchup fit for him and and fit within the rest of the the Pacers lineups uh, in this game, but how you know the, the Pacers bench continues to be something that I'm surprised by its ineffectiveness. Uh, you know their bench has been something they can hang their hat on in recent seasons, and they would, you know Bjorkren got really good at mixing and matching the right center with the second unit to prop that unit up, and Nate McMillan obviously got a ton, a ton out of that second group. McConnell once again kind of struggled, seven points, three assists, minus 16. His minutes were really tough. In this game, you know, the, the stuff he's normally good at, he can't do as much in the way the Pacers are playing this year. Brissett was much less effective this game than he was just two nights ago go against Miami. Jeremy Lamb's defense continues to be a liability. So I didn't get enough from those guys in general. Lamb's 11 points were fine, and his minutes typically have gone well, actually, for the Pacers recently because his offensive off-the-dribble threat does still help them uh, in a team setting. So he was he was okay. He helped them win uh, his minutes, but his defense continues to be to hold him back. And then Goga. Got to talk about Goga. Goga gets his first big minutes of the game of the season. Excuse me. Miles Turner fouls led to that happening. He had two in the first roughly three minutes. Turner finished with three fouls, only played 14 minutes in this game. Goga plays 17 and a half, scored seven points in the first about two minutes he played and looked fantastic. And then couldn't score the rest of the game, missed the rest of his shots. So his scoring outburst was very limited to an early portion of the game. But seven offensive rebounds from Goga. He finished with seven points, nine rebounds, an assist, and two steals 
he actually had, was was very good and effective in this game. And and um, the big change for the Pacers that got them from you know down ten, down twelve, struggling to catch up to down five with a chance to to strike and catch up to the Bucks was Carlisle went with the lineup in the fourth quarter of Sabonis and Batadze to really clog the paint, really hammer home the defense on Giannis and make other guys beat them, and it worked really well. Those two played fantastic. Goga, again, was cleaning up the boards, and Sabonis was finishing, and Goga was just enough of a threat and strength early in the game that he was still getting the respect from the Bucks' defense to make the offense work. So he had a really nice game. Goga was fantastic. In his 17 and a half minutes, the Pacers won uh, those minutes by two points. So credit to him for coming in on his debut and being completely ready to play, play physically, you know, make be a force right when he comes in the game. He was the best bench player for the Pacers in this game. And then Torrey Craig played for six and a half minutes. I will talk, not at length, but I'll talk a little bit about him next segment. Uh, nothing noteworthy from him, really. One rebound, no other stats. So they, I think his role is kind of settled into the last guy in the Pacers' rotation right now. We'll see what happens when Karis Levert comes back. Also more on him later. So in general, uh, the, they got you know the, there are four starters who played healthy minutes, or over 30 minutes, Justin Holiday. Chris Duarte, Domantas Sabonis, and Malcolm Brogdon all played well and fit into what the Pacers wanted to do strategically this game and help them, you know, push this game to being close. And the bench just did not give the Pacers enough in this game. They, they couldn't quite find the right combinations and defensive bursts to to really hammer this game along and, and catch up to the Bucks. So it's going to be tough. I don't know if that's a rotation change from Carlisle. I don't know if it's just the Pacers establishing what they wanted to do on Giannis defensively earlier in the game because they clearly found a plan that worked in the fourth quarter. But there were ways that, you know, if they restarted this game with the knowledge they have now, they could have maybe played this one out better. And they were certainly hanging around the whole game. So they had at least a somewhat effective game plan, but just not quite perfect. One of those things where if they had one of Warren or Levert, certainly wouldn't have been a different story. So, you know, losing by 10 to the defending champs at home, it stings a little, but they, they truly played... I think they played better in this game than they did, for example, against the Wizards, where their defense was just absolutely atrocious. At least they had some solid defensive moments in this game, and their offense looked capable even against a very, very good defensive Bucks team. I would say they played better in this game than they did last Friday. So how did they defend Giannis? That's a big thing for this team that's really struggled to defend these bigger forwards. I talk about this on so many episodes of the show. I feel like I'm overdoing it, but it's important to look at how they did that. It was... You know, they played Hayward, so they've they've kind of and Butler, so they've kind of had opportunities with these forwards, but Giannis is an even bigger deal. How do they defend Giannis and some center stuff? I still have stuff to talk about from this game, but first I want to talk to you guys about the great people over at Direct TV Stream because this might sound familiar to you. You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that you can stream your favorite shows on. You watch sports highlights on your phone, you've got your best friends login for all your shows and the good stuff. Well, there's a simpler way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. So you can watch all your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Thank you for making Locked On Pacers your first listen today. How did the Pacers defend Giannis? Why does it matter? Well, first of all, if you want to be a legitimate threat to win the title or win the East, you got to find a way to slow down Giannis somewhat. They did, in fact, win the championship last year because 
no one, absolutely no one could stop him. The Bucks tried Blake Griffin and, and some gimmicky stuff that didn't quite work. Uh, the, there was no answers from the Suns. They tried Torrey Craig, who we'll talk about momentarily, and that kind of worked, but not really. How do you, how do the Pacers try to slow down Giannis? Before the game, Rick Carlisle talked about sending kind of not sending two guys, but you know having a guy in the wake to shadow and help out the guy who is guarding Giannis. You know you kind of need two guys close to the ball there, and they were really pressuring up on him when he would catch on the perimeter. And sometimes if you sag off, Giannis will shoot. Goga was effective at that. I don't know if that was part of the game plan, but it was something he did kind of particularly well. Uh, but they, they were up on him, and they and they were kind of slow to send that second guy until the fourth quarter. So the, their game plan, I think they had one, but they didn't get to it or they didn't do it effectively until late in the game. Um, but in general, they did okay. You know, you look at his stat line, and you think, how did the Pacers do okay defending him? He was 10 of 18, hit 13 free throw attempts, you know, 30 points. How did they do okay? Well, Making him miss eight times is tough. Uh, they definitely made him uncomfortable at times, and I think you would live with Giannis taking 13 free throws. I was talking with uh, David Woods from the Indy Star up in the Meteor Row right at the beginning of the game. I said, I think my strategy is kind of be beat the crap out of him, make have some guys soak up fouls. So how they defend him really matters because they need plans to defend him, and we need to know how the Pacers want to deploy defending some of these bigger forwards. I talked about this a lot, right? And Torrey Craig was a guy that, I talked about in the context of his signing this summer a lot that he really helps the Pacers because he's good at that. They haven't had a guy since that young who can guard. Your Gian- Giannis is the most extreme example. They call him the Greek freak for a reason. He's a freak. He is an absolute force athletically, uh, size-wise. He can take a step that's 15 feet long when he's running. That's only slightly exaggerating, which is the crazy part, right? He's just he is the epitome of all the challenges of defending these guys for the Pacers. So Torrey Craig, I thought, would be a guy that played a little more this game than he did last game, maybe. And when he was in, was frequently guarding Giannis. And he played six and a half minutes, the lowest of any pacer uh, who played in this game, the lowest of any pacer, excuse me, and didn't guard Giannis at all when he was in the game. He guarded Chris Middleton most of the time. He was in the game, and that's also fine. You're still putting him on a guy that fits the bill of a bigger forward and a guy that the Pacers have struggled with. But I was still surprised that they did that, that they didn't put Torrey Craig on Giannis to at least try to see how that defense would work, to ch- at least see if he can be the guy that you know really helps you finally stop this guy. And they didn't go to it at all. I was surprised by that. They did try a lot of Sabonis. That was okay. Sabonis has the girth to kind of slow him down a little bit. Last year, I I talked a few times about that. They tried Turner to start the game, and Turner did what I thought the Pacers should do. No, like Turner's stat line looks bad because he fouled and didn't play very much, but just just foul him a lot. Like he's worse at free throws than scoring efficiently. In this game, he was not. That was not true, but that's how I would have done it. But Turner, you know, also lacking the strength that Sabonis has, couldn't quite stand far from all the time. So. I thought we'd see more Craig or they'd try that. It did not work. Goga did a very good job on Giannis for a few stretches this game. He's got he's also got kind of the girth to do it. So what we kind of learned is Giannis might be an outlier from this forward, big forward thing for the Pacers. But it seems like Sabonis, Craig, and Goga against the guys that play forward center might be some answers. And then Craig can be more of an answer for the perimeter-minded guys, right? That's why they put him on Middleton. That's why he can be an answer against your Gordon Haywards and your Jimmy Butlers, who can, who are more likely to take a jumper and be a threat 
from more than 10 feet from the basket. And Giannis is getting better at his jumpers, but he certainly still is better near the basket than far from the basket. Speaking of Miles Turner and his fouls, a lot of talk about his minutes this season, and rightfully so after this game because it's been fascinating to see how his season has developed. I'm pulling up his basketball reference page for those who can see me on YouTube and see me typing, right? Because if you pull up his game log, it's very confusing. 25 minutes against, 26 minutes, excuse me, against the Hornets, 44 minutes against the Wizards, 16 against the Heat, and then just 14 against the Bucks. What? That's very confusing, right? Five fouls against the Heat. We all get it, right? And Carlisle even said it after the game. You know, I wanted to play him more. He had five fouls. It's not awkward. It's just what it is. And Carlisle's more conservative than Bjorken was with fouls. If guys, I don't know if it's quarter plus one or what his math is to determine this stuff, but roughly quarter plus one, he'll take you out a little earlier then. Then you think Turner has two fouls in the first half and was a little ineffective offensively. So he went with Goga, who was playing very well. And so I get it in that context. But just in the in the in the general consensus of Turner minutes, I think Carlisle needs to be a little more freeing with the foul counts and, and let Turner play a little more through them. You know, we've seen Turner fight off foul counts in the past. Against Giannis, totally different story. Giannis is gonna make you draw fouls anyway, and you can't just lose the option that early in the game, so I get it. Turner picked up his third foul in the third quarter, and then I don't know if he came in the rest of the game. Goga played almost the whole fourth quarter. And again, that lineup with him and, and Sabonis was working extremely well. I do not blame Carlisle at all for sticking with it. But yeah, Turner's minutes are just bizarre. And I know fouls have been a big factor. And I, I get that Carlisle is pretty conservative with how he handles guys, their fouls, and their minutes after they get into foul trouble. But it seems like he's a little too reactive to the game and the foul count on the sheet in front of him and not going back to the more talented players. And this... Look, I don't want to act like I know more than Rick Carlisle. In fact, he's lauded as this for a reason, as one of the guys who in the middle of the game can make the smartest tactical decisions for a basketball team in the whole league, right? The NBA GM survey points that out. His history points that out. So I don't want to be like, what is he thinking? But I do think when we're getting to the point where, you know, Jeremy Lamb's playing in the crunch time of, of that first game instead of Turner, uh, and then against the he he barely played in the overtime, and then... You know, I get Goga playing for a big stretch of the fourth over Turner. He was outplaying him in this game. Like, I, I understand. Play the better player. You're losing. But there's a point where you need your best defender in the game or you need a guy to soak up fouls against Giannis and you're not doing that as much. And I, I keep I keep being a little surprised. You know, I again, I, I, I get Goga in this game. I Pacers blog Derek Kramer and I were messaging about this after the game. And I said, you know, this is not the game where I agree with people as much that Turner should have played. But against the Heat, he probably should have played more. Uh, we saw what happens when he's really unleashed against the Wizards. That's definitely not going to be the normal for him this season. But I think that Carlisle needs to not completely rethink, but just slightly reevaluate the Turner minutes and, and how he's getting him time on the court uh, and, and try to, even if he's in foul trouble, be a little less stringent on that and then also try to find a way to, to make sure he's playing 20 to 25 at a minimum minutes because he is one of the best defensive players in basketball. And we've seen what he can do when he's totally unleashed. So... I think Turner should play more, and and to Turner's side, he's got to stop fouling as much. He's had some rough matchups, surely. Like the 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 Hornets just went at him, uh, and and there was terrible point of attack defense against the Hornets and Wizards, which puts a lot of the onus on Turner to stop those attacks at the basket. He might foul a lot. I get it. That's not always on him. That can be on the guards, and he just has to bail them out. But and Giannis is a hard matchup. Like those three games make sense. The Heat one is a little weird though. 
even though Bam likes to punk him. Like he he between a combo of bad matchups and bad point of attack defense, it makes sense why he's had all these fouls, and yet still would be better for the team if he's able to clean them up. So that's Turner's next thing. Can he clean up those fouls? Can he make it happen? Can he get more minutes? And Carlisle's got to be less strict with those minutes to me. But Goga got to play today as a result of this, and now I get to talk about Goga and a little bit about Karis Levert and his injury update. So let's do that really quick. But first, let me talk to you guys about the great folks over at betonline.ag. They are back and better than ever. They have a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. When you sign up, if you use the promo code LOCKEDON, you'll receive that bonus. They've got basketball lines and props on there, football lines and props, baseball as the World Series gets going. I hate the Braves. Please bet against the Braves. NHL, boxing, UFC, your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Sign up with that promo code LOCKDOWN today. Bet online where the game starts. Let's also talk about the good people over at rockauto.com because there's so many makes and models of cars now. I saw an ad for a 2023 model of a car now. It's still 2021. It's so hard for your local chain store to keep up with all the parts you'll need for your car. And then when you get there, they never have the right one, even when you flip through the book for like 10 minutes. Why waste all that time when you have a computer with access to rockauto.com or in your pocket on your phone? You can save time and money at Rock Auto for the same parts that you could get at a chain store or dealership. Why would you not want to save time and money? They're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are always reliably low for every customer. They have everything you could need for your vehicle. I encourage you to go check them out and explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, last segment today. Let's talk about the latest on Karis LaVert's injury and Goga Batadze's team option for upcoming seasons. First up, LaVert, his scan, his his most recent scan on his back was yesterday on Monday, the day of the Bucks game. Carlisle did not know or did not have the full scope of the results at the time of pregame when we had questioning with him. He could not share that yet. He said an update will be released probably Tuesday. Uh, if you're listening, it could already be out. So we'll know more about Levert and his injury pretty soon and what his timetable could be for a potential return. But nothing at this time. Uh, you know, Who knows what time of day it was at. Carlisle is focused on the game. So uh, expect news on that very soon. That's a short update, but it's a better than nothing update. Let's talk about Goga. I'm writing an article about this. It should be out the same day you're listening. I'm so bad about that usually, but it is drafted. I just need to be a good editor for once. So Goga Batadze, I did a segment on this about a month ago, a month and a half ago, but now the deadline's coming up, and Goga just played in his first game. So no time like the present to remind you all. So the deadline. So here's the situation. Goga Batadze is on a rookie-scale contract. How those work is... They have a team option for their third and fourth season that you have to decide on a full year in advance. For every first-round pick, that is the case. And how it works is the deadline that's in the CBA is the end of October of 
a normal calendar league year. And this year is now a normal calendar league year. So the Pacers have until Sunday, October 31st, really the end of Sunday, to decide on Goga Batadze's team option for the 2022-23 season, which is a full season away from right now. That that's uh, that, that's you know that's two seasons of Goga Batadze. It's a 4.8 million dollar team option. Goga, very very polarizing player amongst you know the internet fans of the Pacers, which is surprising to me. Um, again, I thought he was pretty good against the Bucks. Showed off some offensive rebounding chops. Was still good on defense where he usually thrives, but also showed the weaknesses that Kevin Pritchard talked about on media day. You know, that they love Goga and his and his blocking and his defense, right? I'll have some stats on that in my piece that's out on Forbes today. Uh, but, you know, two for eight shooting, hit his first two shots, missed his next six, right? A lot of stuff that, a lot of stuff that just doesn't make as much sense. So on offense, statistically for him, right? So the question is, should the Pacers commit two point or four point eight million to him next season? And it's weird to to think about that because they're over the cap anyway. If they decline it or accept it, the Pacers will almost certainly be over the cap team next year. They'll only have access to the MLE, the BAE, and minimum contracts. So if they decline Batadze's contract, they can't replace him with a different player worth four point eight million dollars. They can instead only replace him with a minimum salary player. So, is he worth more than a minimum salary player at his roster spot? I would say yes. Even if he the talent isn't there, and I think the talent is there to be clear, but even if you're a person who doesn't think the talent is there with him, you'd rather, to me, invest a roster spot in a guy that you've spent years developing already and is young and has potential than just someone you're pulling in on a minimum deal. So even if he is more expensive, it's not your money, who cares? You'd rather have the young guy with potential that that the team has already spent time and development on. They understand who he is, what his background is, and stuff like that. So financially, the only way it would make sense to decline the option financially is if sometime during the season the Pacers make substantial cost-cutting trades. Like they would have to cut a lot of money off of next year's books to actually have cap space that is meaningful. And it's really hard to do that. There's not a lot of teams you can dump salary on at this point in the season. Uh, not, not big enough trade exceptions or salary cap spaces really out there for something like that. So financially, cutting Goga or declining the option, not cutting, excuse me. I need to be very clear. Declining his option for next season doesn't make a lot of sense. If they do decline it and then he's awesome this year, they could only offer him that amount on the next deal, whereas other teams can offer him more. So that's another factor at play. And that factor is important because the biggest thing with Goga this year is probably the guys in front of him. Turner and Sabonis. This this year, more than any year, and this will continue to be the case as time goes on. Next year will be more than this year. The time to trade one of them is rapidly approaching. Turner only has a year and 1.95 years left on his deal now that he's played four games this season, right? Eventually... His contract will have such a short amount of time left that his value will drop substantially. So if they can't figure out the pairing this year with the centers, then it makes sense to move on from one or the other and commit to the other one. And if that happens, then go get $4.8 million to be your backup center is a steal of a deal, right? So just looking at from a team-building perspective financially and from... A role perspective, there's a good chance that Goga is either worth the money or worth the roster spot. And so because of those reasons, which are the biggest things you think about with a team option, is how does it impact your team building, I think they will pick it up, and he played well in a game. 
They haven't done it yet, which means maybe they're waiting on something or they're still evaluating something. And if they're evaluating how he would play, the Bucks game, I, to me, would give me confidence to pick it up. But the other factor, the negative side, there are some. One is that he's never put it all together. There's a reason he's polarizing, right? Some fans just look at him and go, what is he doing? His screens aren't good. He can't finish plays around the rim. He's flailing around sometimes. What is he doing? Like, I get it. He's not a, he's, he's, he's very inconsistent at this age. So I get that why fans might think that way at this time. The other thing is he doesn't play that much. So it's hard to like conceptualize bringing him back and like how that move would look because you go back to that draft and he's picked 18th. And this might be another reason that there's some divisiveness and vitriol kind of around him. He was picked 18th, but as of right now, he has played the 33rd most minutes in his draft class, right? Outside the first round's worth of minutes. And some he's played 100 games. He just played his 100th game, like on the dot, right? So the, he's he's slower on the playing time, and that's kind of because of the Pacers roster construction too, but you know, the, they still might have that roster construction next year. So that's kind of a negative, and his situation's sort of weird, and Isaiah Jackson's right there too, right? Maybe you want to give him the backup center match. There's a lot of somewhat negative reasons to not do it, but to me... It's a team-building decision, and if you look at it from just a team-building perspective, there's not really a better way to have a depth center than a guy you is young, is getting better, that you've already invested resources in, and doesn't impact your spending power next season. Because while they won't have cap space, they'll be much farther from the tax next year with Lamb and Warren coming off the books. I'm sure they'd like to re-sign TJ Warren, but his price isn't going to be so much that the luxury tax is as much of a concern next year as it is now then the 4.8 million is not a big deal. It's just not a big deal unless they get really cheap. So unless there's something that changes, whether it's desire of one party to, to not be connected to the other, or they don't make a trade, or they really love Isaiah Jackson more than they're leading on, unless something changes, to me, I think they will pick up Goga's team option for 2022-23, and that's it. They can finally dust off this summer, this offseason. They'll have their team set for this year, a lot of it set for next year. And then... I can finally talk about basketball and stop talking about offseason stuff, but I am, in fact, writing about this. It was fresh on the brain. Goga played today. It seemed like a great time to talk about it. If you have questions about that or if you think I left out an important detail, because I have been known to do that before, hit me up on Twitter, at TEastNBA. If you're on YouTube, it's on this graphic right there. If you're not on YouTube, check us out on YouTube. You can see my face as I talk through these thoughts to myself. Um, tomorrow... Pacers play the Raptors. We'll be talking about what to watch for in that game later this week. Sean Woodley from Lockdown Raptors will come on and we'll chat more because they also play the Raptors this weekend. Of course, we'll be talking Nets later this week, another Tyler contender. So look out for that. Adam is still on vacation, so you're going to get a lot of me this week. Hope that's okay with you guys. So again, back tomorrow to talk Pacers Raptors. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you then.